0: When I was a child there was a period of time when my family lived like gypsies. My parents had sold their city house, and were looking for a piece of property, far off the beaten path in the foothills of Northern California. Before they settled on an exact piece of land we set up camp at a riverside campground, the four of us, my parents, and my sister, and I'd lived in a beat-up old trailer. My sister and I spent most days playing in the creek that flowed into the river, and swimming in the river, and reading on the sandy shores. It was around this time that my mom obtained a copy of Anderson's Fairy Tales, and I was first subject to the dark tales within. Among the standouts was The Little Mermaid, complete with painful stabbing feet. At the risk of outing my age, this was prior to Ariel of Disney fame. Needless to say every dive under the clear blue waters I imagined myself to be a mermaid. And so began my love affair with these fabled beauties and beasts. I welcome you back to Mermaids, I am your hostess Anna Karenina. Today I will be reading, The Mermaid of Druid Lake. long been popular in the world of fiction and lore. In Charles Weathers Bump's The Mermaid of Druid Lake we are introduced to a mermaid of somewhat urban origins, she lives in a lake in a city park. Of course this story was written in 1906 so urban was perhaps a bit of a different thing. Still, what would it be like to encounter a mermaid in Central Park? What I love, and instinctively understood those hours spent underwater as a child, is the reminder that mermaids need not dwell only in the sea. There are dryads and nymphs of lakes, lagoons, rivers, and let's not forget swimming pools. The classic 1948 film Mr. Peabody, and The Mermaid stars William Powell as a newly married vacationer who discovers a mermaid while out sailing and brings her home to his mansion where he stashes her in his swimming pool. It seems unlikely that he would get away with this, but true to Powell's nature he and his new wife are drunk throughout most of the movie, so maybe nobody noticed. If this plot sounds familiar, the 80s blockbuster Splash Starring Daryl Hannah was a remake of sorts, or at least loosely based on, Mr. Peabody, and The Mermaid. In the vein of these movies, and perhaps an influence on them, The Mermaid of Druid Lake is a bit of a humorous tale. I don't want to spoil the story by saying too much, but there is a somewhat ridiculous scene that involves taking the mermaid for a car ride. Our fascination with mermaids has a very long history. Mermaids are one of the oldest mythological creatures. The first known story of a mermaid dates to about 1000 BC when the Assyrian goddess Atargatis, ashamed at having killed a mortal man that she loved, tried to conceal herself in a lake. When the waters failed to hide her, she turned herself into a half-woman half-fish. Mermaids have made their appearance in fiction and fairy tales and were especially popular in island nations, such as Ireland and the Caribbean. Mermaids waver between being trapped at the little mermaid and being dangerous. The sirens of the Odyssey, but most consistently seem to possess a certain superiority to mere mortals in love. They are vulnerable, so often falling for gruff sailors or fishermen of human stock, or bewitching and enchanting said men to a watery demise. Here are a few additional fun facts about the fluid and the fair. Many people believe today that early explorer sightings of mermaids were manatees. Scurvy plus many days away from your lady equals a blubbery creature looking supple and bedacious. The scientific name for manatees harkens to these early beliefs, it belongs to the order Cyrenian, a family Trichechidae, genus Trichechus. Today mermaids are still as popular as they ever were. Hundreds of fun waterside festivals take place across the country. Every year, Coney Island hosts a mermaid parade. This annual tradition began in 1983. And for the past several years includes an after-party for participants and parade-goers, a mermaid ball. For more than 50 years the Webster Lions Club in Rochester, New York has played host to the yearly Mermaid Festival. And in 2011 the first annual MERCON took place at the Mirage Hotel in Las Vegas, complete with mermaid performers, vendors are selling waterproof mermaid tails, adult and child sizes available, and a World Mermaid Awards. And lest you think this siren-obsessed are all costumed comics you should read about the real-life mermaid, Hannah Fraser. A mermaid performer by trade, this aquatic Australian is far more than a pretty piece of tale. She works tirelessly as eco-activist fighting to keep her beloved oceans clean, and save her companion creatures of the deep. So before you dive into this sweet little story, you may want to grab a towel. Once you've heard this story, you will crave that feeling yourself, you'll want to swim down to the bottom of the river, imagining you are a watery woman or man, who only comes up to the surface, not for air but to see who you can enchant back to your mermaidian cave below. Edwin Horton had not had a sleepless time that hot June night it probably would never have happened. As it was, after tossing and pitching on an uncomfortably warm mattress for several hours, he had dressed and left his bolton avenue home for a stroll in Druidhill Park just as the dawn made itself evident. That was the beginning of the adventure. Not a soul was in sight when he reached the driveway around the big lake, and he let out to take a little vigorous exercise, breathing in the fresh air with more enjoyment than had been his for some hours. About halfway around he stopped suddenly, and rubbed his eyes to make sure he was not dreaming. For a curve in the road had brought him the knowledge that he was not alone in his appreciation of the early morning hour. Seated beside the water, on the rocks that line the shore, was a damsel though rather good-looking one, as well as he could judge at the distance of a hundred yards. She was leaning on her left elbow and looking out over the lake in rather a pensive, dreamy attitude. Of course, young ladies don't ordinarily get up before dawn to go out to Druid Hill Park to sit alone beside the broad sweep of city water, and Edwin naturally felt some surprise at the novelty of the sight. Besides, she was inside the high iron railing, and he wondered how she had got there. In the intensity of his interest, he slowed down his pace as he drew nearer along the roadway. Should he watch her unobserved for a while to ascertain her purpose? Should he frankly hail her and ask whether she objected to the company? Should he well, the damsel settled his doubts for him just then by discovering him. She appeared startled, and he fancied she half meant to plunge into the lake. Then she changed her mind, gave him a bewitching little smile, and raised her free hand to beckon him. Edwin needed no second invitation. The novelty of the situation was too alluring to resist. In another moment he had scaled the fence, and was clambering awkwardly down the rocks, And as he came close he found her a very pretty damsel indeed, with youthful, rosy cheeks, fetching blue eyes, and long, light tresses that hung unconfined from her head down upon the sloping rocks behind her. She was smiling, and yet he thought he detected a renewed disposition to slip away from him before he had drawn too close. Then he had a shock. She was only half a woman, The other half of her was fish, scaly fish, partly submerged in the waters of the lake. He paused irresolutely. It was all right, you know, to read about mermaids in old mythologies and fairy tales. But to encounter one in this year of our Lord, so near home as Druid Lake. Oh, fudge! The boys at the aerial club would never get through joshing him should he ever say he had seen such a thing. It could not be true, it was too amazing. He was a fool to let his nerves get the better of him. He had better cut out those visits to the river resorts, or next, he would be seeing pink elephants climbing trees. The first thing he knew he would wake up in that stuffy room at home. No, he couldn't be dreaming. There was the railing, and the lake, and the white tower, and General Booth's home, and the Madison Avenue entrance, and the Wallace statue, and a dozen other familiar spots in a most familiar perspective. And there, too, was the damsel in flesh and blood, or, rather, flesh and fish. She was the first to speak. Good morning to you, stranger. She spoke English, good, clear mother tongue. Her lips were parted in that alluring smile, and her manner was as saucy as that of any fair flirt he had ever known of womankind. In the name of heaven, who are you? He stammered as he sat down, awkwardly, beside her. She laughed outright, mischievously, mockingly. I, I am the nymph of the lake. Long years ago I was the naiad of the woodland spring that is now deep down yonder, indicating a spot out in the lake. But they dammed me in and turned great floods of water in here, and mighty Jupiter gave me my new title. And are you really half fish? She laughed again. I am what you see. As she spoke she gracefully swayed the lower half of her in the water. A million glistening scales, prismatically reflected the increasing morning light. She was half fish, all right there was no doubt about that. By gosh. Here's a rum go, muttered Edwin to himself. What did you say, queried the mermaid. I said if you must know, by Jove. You are a beauty, he replied, gallantly and impetuously. The mermaid smiled again. The feminine half of her was pleased with the compliment to her good looks. I'm afraid you're a sad flatterer she said, coquettishly. She lowered her blue eyes, then uplifted the lashes and looked full into his face in a manner that made his heart bound. One little finger was shaken playfully at him. Edwin seized the hand. It was warm, human blood pulsated through it. And as he held it his companion gave just a bit of a squeeze. A score of girls had done the same in bygone sentimental hours but none so deftly. This is certainly an odd adventure," he remarked. Tell me, the Lady of the Lake, do you often sit here in this unconventional fashion with gentlemen callers? What would you give to know, she asked, teasingly. You are the first for a long, long time, she went on. Last summer there was a man in a grey uniform who saw me but he looked so uninteresting I swam away. When are you here? he asked, earnestly. I love to sit on the bank when fair Aurora makes the dawning day grow rosy, she acknowledged, but I have to flee to the depths when the full sun comes. She looked to the east. It is growing late, she added, hurriedly, I must be going. Not yet, not yet, he pleaded, Do not detain me, she cried, I must go. It means life to me. Gracefully she glided into the water at his feet. You will come tomorrow, he asked. The coquettish mood returned to her. Perhaps, she said, as with long strokes she headed for the center of the lake. Edwin watched intently until she had gone a hundred yards and more. Then she ceased swimming, kissed her hand to him, and dived under the surface as the single word, farewell, floated over the water. It seems superfluous to remark that he was in a trance that day. His father, at the breakfast table, jovially prodded him about being late, until he barely caught himself on the verge of telling his queer secret. And so absent-minded was he at the office, that he found he had entered the account of a prosaic old firm, as a mermaid and nymph. Long before four, early morning hours, the next day he was at the lake. The waning moon was still in the west, and there were few signs of the coming day. For half an hour he kept his vigil alone, and had almost begun to think his piscatorial charmer was not coming then suddenly he espied her out in the lake, swimming toward him. When about 50 yards offshore she hailed him jovially, and bade him go around to the white tower. As he moved along the driveway she kept him company, maintaining the pace with graceful, tireless strokes and occasionally coming nearer to exchange a remark. What made you change the trysting place, he asked. Love of change, I suppose," she replied. A water nymph does not get much chance at novelty. The half-hour they spent upon the water's edge was largely one of a sentimental banter between merry and enamored man, in which Edwin concluded that his charmer could give cards to the jolliest little, jollier, in Baltimore. She asked him about his past and present girlfriends, and pouted deliciously when he frankly acknowledged them. Finally, they parted, she promising to appear the next morning. The third meeting started a chain of events. They were comfortably chatting on the rocks when Edwin heard the chug-chug of an automobile. The mermaid clutched his arm in alarm. What are those horrid things, she naively remarked. They often make such an awful fuss I can hear them down in my cozy corner. Edwin's reply was suspended while the machine passed them. The two men who were in it craned their necks most industriously at the sight of a pair of lovers out so early and seated in such an unusual spot for sentimental couples. When he turned to make the explanations she had asked, he found it a harder task than he had imagined. Her knowledge of human inventions, of worldly means of locomotion, was not extensive. And he had to begin with the ABC of it and go through a course in elementary mechanics. After the 42nd paragraph of instructions, the damsel clapped her hands gleefully and cried, it would be great fun to take a trip in one. It is great fun, declared Edwin, for a moment forgetting to whom he was talking. But then I couldn't do it, she exclaimed in disappointment. I couldn't leave the lake. The unshed tears in her eyes made him ardent. You could do it if you are willing, he avowed, earnestly. You can take the water with you. Visions of a tank lady in the greatest circus on earth became to him. You are fooling me, murmured the mermaid. And she pouted. Edwin rose to the occasion. I am not fooling, he protested. It would not be difficult to put a tank of water in the machine for you to put your he was going to say feet, but he ended his sentence, stumblingly, your other half in. In her joy, the lady of the lake took his cheeks in her hands and gave him an impulsive kiss. You are the loveliest being on earth, she said, enthusiastically. That settled it. The rest of the conversation that morning was about automobiles, And when they parted it was with a definite assurance on his part that Edwin would be on hand the next morning with a motor car suitably equipped for her use. It was only when he had gotten away, that he realized the ridiculous side of the job he had undertaken. He could get an automobile all right. Tom Reese was a good friend, and a willing one, and his car had a tonneau capacious enough to accommodate the ex-Nyad, and her movable pool. But he would have to tell Tom the whole peculiar adventure to get him to take his auto out at such an unearthly hour. He'll think me clean daft when I unfold it to him, said Edwin to himself. And Tom did, too. He laughed loud and long when Edwin chose what he thought to be a propitious moment, and began his confession. What are you stuffing me with? Tom demanded, with tears in his eyes. Edwin renewed his explanations, only to bring on another explosion. You'll be the death of me yet, old fellow, asserted Tom. You'd better cut out those absinths, Edwin added details most earnestly. You're crazy, boy, was the only reply he got. He grew angry and hurt. Now, Tom Reese, he demanded have I ever failed you when you wanted my help. Tom apologized and began to study Edwin with intentness. Look here, Edwin Horton, he said, if there is any such girl at Druid Lake as you describe, she's a faked and she's got you strong mightily. Edwin swallowed this dig at his intelligence peacefully. He saw he had one. All I ask, Tom, he rejoined, is that you will take me out in the car, and see for yourself. Tom gave him his hand. I'm from Missouri, and you'll have to show me," he chuckled. A wash tub from Mrs. Reese's cellar was requisitioned at 3 in the morning hours for use as a tank. After it had been lifted into the tonneau a hose supplied the needed water. "Climb into the water wagon," ordered Tom, and he threw on the lever and spun out to Druid Hill Park. The day was still in the embryo when the lake tower was reached. But the nymph was there. Her trim blue blouse was still wet after her swim ashore. The morning was summery, but Edwin had appreciated that the ride might be cold for the water lady, and had thoughtfully brought his sister's raincoat. Tom's astonishment at seeing a fide mermaid was balm to Edwin. The lad stood open-mouthed after Edwin had introduced them. In fact, he was so dumbfounded that he failed to notice the hand the damsel had extended to him. ''Come on, Tom,'' said Edwin, ''there isn't much time.'' One on each side, the two boys supported the nymph as she cavorted as gracefully as possible up the rocks. They hadn't thought of the iron railing. Caesar's ghost, muttered Tom in dismay. How are we going to get her over that? Edwin turned to the mermaid. If you don't mind, said he, we will have to lift you. I don't mind, she said, simply, if you don't drop me. At Edwin's suggestion he clambered over first, and then Tom raised the young creature boldly until she was clear of the iron spikes. There Edwin took hold of her and carried her to the auto. She was not a heavy burden, but her wet condition and her combination shape increased the difficulties. From the moment she was once in the auto her joy was a pleasure to observe. She began by expressing her delight at their thoughtfulness in supplying the wash tub. When the machine began to move she clapped her hands in childish glee. From glee to wonderment her mood changed as they spun along the park roads, A hundred naive questions were asked about the objects unfamiliar to a lady whose habitat was at the bottom of a big pond. Edwin answered faithfully, and had his reward in his enjoyment of her artlessness and winsomeness. Occasionally Tom looked round to share in it. At a good clip, the auto was run out Park Heights Avenue. And back. The dawn seemed most kindly disposed to the trio for it was long in coming. And when they had reached Pimlico, Tom proposed a detour by way of Roland Park, to return to the lake across Seed Avenue. Bridge. The damsel hailed it with glee, only stipulating that she must be back by a sunup. They showed her the turf tracks on either side as they bowled along Belvedere Avenue eastward. And they were still engaged in explaining to her the methods of horse racing when Tom started down the long hill beside the Tyson Place, Silburn, leading down to the bridge across Jones Falls. The girl was asking questions, with her bewitching face near Edwin's, when there came a startling interruption to their fun. Tom, again greatly interested in the talk, failed to notice a large boulder in the road, And the auto shot over it with a jolt that caused him to lose control of the wheel. The big machine regained its balance, but not its course. Instead, it careened to the right and bumped into the ditch before the alarmed occupants had scarcely grasped their peril. Tom was tossed out on the roadway. Edwin was pitched into the front seat, The mermaid shot past him and fell on a clump of green turf, and the tub of water upset, and in seeking an outlet, poured over the car, drenching Edwin. Look out for a gasoline explosion, shrieked Tom, raising himself from the road, apparently unhurt. Edwin knew he could do nothing to prevent such a catastrophe, so he followed the other two out of the auto as quickly as he could. For a moment he and Tom paid no attention to the mermaid, so absorbed were they in the possibility of a blow-up. But when this danger had passed they discovered that she had lifted herself from the grassy sward, and was flip-flopping awkwardly in the direction of the brook that runs through Silburn near the road. Come back! Come back! There's no danger, called Edwin, as he started after her. The damsel paid no heed. She was intent on getting to that stream of running water. Again Edwin called this time more sharply. The mermaid stopped not, but turned a tearful and much convulsed face to him. Edwin raced after her. So did Tom. But when they got to the edge of the brook the only sign of her was an increasing ripple on the surface of a little pool. The stream was not so deep. But that the bottom could be studded. And yet they saw nothing of her. She had the enchanted gift of being invisible in water. Tom looked at Edwin. Edwin looked at Tom. That beats the Dutch, said Tom. It's worse than that, replied Edwin, an odd catch in his voice. We certainly have queered her for good. We must find her and get her back to the park somehow. For hours they moved up and down alongside the stream, calling pleadingly, but without response, for their quondam friend. Edwin made a little oration to her in absentia, in which he humbly begged her pardon and swore by all the gods of Mount Olympus, by the great Jupiter, the chaste Diana, and all the rest of them, as far as he could remember their names, that he would restore her safely to the lake. But she came not. Tom added his entreaties, but she heeded not. Then Tom suggested that perhaps she had worked her way down the brook, and into Jones Falls, whence she could if she but knew the pipes, get into her beloved lake again. Edwin jumped at the idea, and leaving Tom to look after the auto, hastened down the ravine to Jones Falls, and moved up and down the falls calling for the vanished damsel with a fervor that might have caused doubts as to his sanity had anyone heard it. When he returned, terribly downcast, Tom had gotten the car righted, and had discovered that it was uninjured. No luck, I suppose, said Tom. No, replied Edwin, moodily. Get in, then. We can't stay here all day. Edwin required urging to leave the spot. Finally, he consented to go. As he climbed in he saw the overturned tub, and his concentrated wrath and grief were heaped upon it. Picking it up, he held it savagely at a tree, and when it fell to pieces with the concussion, he exclaimed, vehemently and inconsequentially, that's the blamed thing that got us into this mass. At Druid Lake, He insisted on another long search. Time and again the auto was stopped that he might call aloud for his charmer. But no answering sound came across the water. Curses, said Edwin. I'm afraid she's lost for good. And that is probably the true explanation as to why there has been no mermaid in Druid Lake since. She may be in Silburn Brook, she may be in Jones Falls. She may have reached the Patapsco, but no one has ever seen a creature answering her description and aquatic habits since the damsel who once held the job got giddy and went motoring. spending time with me today. If you are a fan of crime stories, then please type in your search box the crimes of Your and listen to the acts of heinous killers. Also follow me on, Weird Tales of Strange Creatures. From its roots in cryptozoology, this genre features bizarre, fantastical, and often terrifying tales of mythical and legendary creatures. Whether it be giant spiders, werewolves, lake monsters, or dinosaurs, the Weird Tales of Strange Creatures series offers a fantastic introduction to the world of weird creatures in fiction. Mermaids has been prepared and read by me Anna Karenina. Keep well till next time.
1: Bye.